Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are uh, go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad to be with you, coming to you with another episode. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett, and joining me is my brother, Todd Plucknett. And once again, back from uh, from his uh, busy schedule is, uh, is Zach Saltz. Zach, how's it going? You know, you say busy schedule, and like 99% of the time that would be a sarcastic remark, but I really am busy. Oh, I know, I know. I'm not. I'm not saying you weren't. You would have been here for the last episode if you could have been. I I would have loved to have been there for the last episode. It was hugely entertaining listening to the last episode and thinking of all the the ways I would have retorted to the inane, asinine comments you made throughout. Well, we we are very good at that, and uh, yeah. and you're very good at Actually, responding to it, them. In all seriousness, it, that was a very well done podcast. So, cheers to you. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, got thank some, you. I got some excellent tidbits about the Oscars that I didn't even know. Well, good, You're good. Welcome. Well, uh, speaking of cheers, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what we're drinking tonight. And uh, Todd, what what do you have? I am drinking the American Plains Crafted Vodka from Princeton, Minnesota. Uh, I'm not really sure why I'm sipping vodka. I don't even like it, but I'm doing it anyway. Well, we're talking about a movie that we don't necessarily even like, but we're doing it anyway, too. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. Oh, is that sneak, oh, sneak preview? Oh, oh. maybe, maybe. Terry we'll didn't see. like Ed Astra. <laughs> <laughs> or Boiler Room. No, I was going to say, why, why are you saying I'm, we're talking about that one? All right, uh, Zach, don't let us down. What are you drinking? So uh, I'm drinking uh, Ad Astra uh, beer yes! because about three podcasts ago, uh, we I was alluding to the Ad Astra um, brew uh, beer from Free State Brewing Company out of uh, the People's Republic of Lawrence, Kansas, and Terry said you have to drink it when we review Ad Astra. So I tucked that one away, took uh, that solid uh, gold dust of advice, and. Uh, here I am with some wonderful Ad Astra. Not quite as good as the Copperhead, but still uh, 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 quaffable, but but far from transcendent. Solid dust. Awesome. See, see, Todd. Yes. See, Todd. When when I set someone up for something, that's how you answer. That's how you answer. You don't you don't answer with with that petty crap you answered with me with the "Gone in sixty seconds" quote a couple podcasts ago. <laughs> I mean, dude. That's I how have the it right works. Scene. That's how it works. I don't care. I don't care. You let me down. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I'm drinking. I tried to get something that was a little themed for what we're talking about. So I have, um, I went to the grocery store and all of the summer beers are on like super clearance because, well, if you look outside in the Northwest right now, it looks more like winter than it does like even fall. But uh, I found out of Elysian Brewing Company, which is in Portland, Oregon, or somewhere in Oregon, I think it, no, it's Seattle, actually, Seattle Brewery. Uh, this is the Salute the Sun Pale Ale. Um, and it's, uh, it's got a, like this psychedelic lime on the, on the label and it actually is quite lime flavored, which is kind of weird. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like it, but, uh, I'm drinking it because we're talking about space and the sun is in space. Sounds so. like we're all drinking subpar drinks this episode. I don't know. Maybe that's setting us up for, for how we feel about these movies. I think that means it's going to be an awesome know. episode. <laughs> 
Well, anyways. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for, for listening. Um, remember, you can find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com. Find our Almost Sideways page on Facebook. Uh, you can find Zach and I on Twitter. You can find our blog, almostsideways.blogspot.com. Again, we referenced uh, Todd's Oscar predictions a little bit ago, and that was what the whole last, last podcast was about, and you can see those there. Uh, Zach, before we get into what we're going to be talking about, I want to um, go to you. You were not on the last podcast when we talked about our Oscar uh, our Oscar thoughts and predictions. Uh, do you have any uh, any thoughts you want to add, any hot takes, any of those uh, asinine retorts you want to come up with? Um, well, it was a very entertaining podcast, as I said. I can't remember if you talked about this on the podcast or if this was in Todd's uh, article, but how is Tom Hanks not lead for uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Todd, I thought you had him as supporting actor nominee. Yeah, it's well, it sounds like the movie is more about the guy writing the article about uh, Mr. Rogers than it is actually about him. So it'd be similar to Saving Mr. Banks or something like that. Well, I, I say that because I think Tom Hanks would be my choice right now for best actor at the Oscars. But if if for some reason they're not going to put him in the lead actor category, I guess that kind of messes that up. But how is he not the lead? He's, he's in every second of that preview. Yeah, because I don't, he's I don't Tom know. Hanks. They're not going to show the other guy that nobody cares about. <clears throat> well, yeah, it could well be that's something... true for the movie, too. Why... Why? Why would they have any other characters other than Tom Hanks? Well, they should. It could. They show it, Tom it, Hanks my, all my, the time. My, my point is, save Mr. Banks. It could be. Yeah, I, I was thinking my more like is, Last King long, of Scotland and uh, and yeah. Forrest Whitaker there, so he could still go lead in something like that. I my bigger point is that you know what Tommy has been sniffing Oscar number three for a while. Okay, and uh, we need to give it to him. And, you know, the way that Meryl Streep won her Oscar, her third Oscar was for, you know, a half-rate half imitation of a well-known public figure. So why not give it to Tom Hanks for the same thing? Well, and in the last couple of weeks, it has been announced that uh, Tom Hanks will be receiving the C- Cecil B. DeMille Award at the uh, Golden Globes. So he is going to be going home with something this award season. Yeah, that's really all. I, I mean, I, I liked a lot of your comments. I, I don't think, uh, I don't have trust in Noah Baumbach at the Oscars, so I don't think his movies, and, and the fact it's on Netflix doesn't bode really well for it. I texted Terry, I said, I, I thought 1917 has a really good chance um, if it's if it's released in December, because it's basically a mix of Birdman and Dunkirk, and we know that those movies did well at the Oscars, so um, assuming it's released, I guess, I, I don't know, and assuming that the reviews are half decent, but... Well, similar um, to like three of the yeah. last five years, Clint Eastwood actually announced he's got his movie coming out in December now too, which nobody even knew had actually been shot yet, which is the uh, the ballad of uh, the whatever it is the Buster the guy Scruggs. at the Atlanta terrorist the Atlanta summer. Oh, Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell, the Battle of Richard Jewell. That's what it's called. Yeah. Which, wow. Which had supposed it was supposed to originally star Leo and uh, Jonah Hill and be directed by uh, Ezra Edelman, but apparently at some point Eastwood got the movie and he already shot it and it's getting released in December. <laughs> I hadn't Who's heard playing that. Richard Jewell? Uh, the, it's I don't know what his name is. It's the guy that's in I Tonya and Black Klansman, the like short, uh, fat guy. Sebastian oh, him? No. 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 The the uh, oh. the guy he he's like one of the clan members and he in he's like the the guy 
in I, Tanya. He's the idiot in both movies. Like, yeah, he is the he bumbling is the fool in both movies. Yeah, I know who exactly who you're talking about. But, I That's mean, he looks like Richard Jewell. But, I mean, Jonah Hill would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Todd, well, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, it, that's not surprising for Clint Eastwood. I mean, I feel like back in 2004, he did the same thing for Million Dollar Baby. But I, I don't know, like, why would we think Clint Eastwood would be a considerable Oscar commodity right now? I mean, he hasn't made a good movie in quite a while. Well, he it was a similar situation to American Sniper, too, if you remember. I mean, and, like, was it last year with The Mule? Like, he's just, like, randomly putting out these movies in December that people don't even know are done yet. And American Sniper ended up being a huge hit. Like, the biggest hit of his whole career. Yeah. So, the uh, the other update with uh, Oscar season is uh, people have now actually seen The Irishman, and the early reports from the New York Film Festival are very, very positive, looking at that it might actually be as good as everyone's hoping it will be. Uh, Todd, having that as, uh, as a little tidbit there, does that change any of your uh, predictions at all? I don't know. I it still is Netflix. I mean, it it could have a really good chance of winning best director, but I'd still I'll have to see them give best picture to a Netflix movie before before I actually predict it. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned this before, but the fact that The Irishman can will only be seen for like a month in theaters and very very small theaters and then streaming like you can't even get the disc of it is just going to be depressing. Yeah, I, I heard someone say that Joe Pesci was very subtle in The Irishman. So maybe not a flashy performance. Well, uh, speaking of uh, subtlety uh, in performances, let's talk about our movie review that we're uh, reviewing today. Nice. Like, like that segue there? Oh, like that segue? Wow, I saw what you did there. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into what we're reviewing. And we're reviewing our... Um, a new film that uh, came out last weekend that is, uh, it, it's a film that hasn't done great at the box office, but it's holding its own, uh, and that is Ad Astra, the new film uh, starring Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones, uh, written and directed by James Gray. If necessary, I will destroy the project in its entirety. The earth puts hopes in him. And now it's fate. It's on me. We have a job to do. Uh, this is one that um, I know Zach and I were very, very much looking forward to since it is a, a space movie. We always love space movies. And the previews looked look good. Whenever Brad Pitt's in something, you know it's it's got a chance of being really good, especially um, what the last like 10, 15 years or so. And so we have the story of Roy McBride, played by Brad Pitt, who is an astronaut in uh, the not too distant future, as we're looking at a more futuristic world where a lot of our uh, society and a lot of our civilization takes place in space. There's commercial flights to the moon. There's uh, there's bases on almost every planet, and he is an astronaut that is uh, asked to help stop his uh, father, who is a a legend of an astronaut, H. Clifford McBride, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who was sent on a mission to Neptune 
uh, to try and look for uh, look for life on another planet. And he is uh, he is causing these problems back on Earth, and they don't know what's going on. They're having trouble contacting him, and so they uh, they ask for his son to help in stopping whatever is going on. It sounds like a thrill ride, and it was very, very much not. This this movie was a very uh, slow and subtle movie, which uh, which is is strange for the premise. Uh, I would say if you're going to compare it to anything, like the closest thing would be maybe something like 2001: A Space Odyssey, in just the fact that it is it is this slow. Uh, character study that just happens to take place in space. With that said, the visuals of space and the the things that it um, it references and the world it sets up, instead of really in delving into and indulging in this world, it just kind of gives it to you as an assumption of this is how the world is now. Yes, there are commercial flights to to the moon that you can take, and there are people that live on the moon. There's a society on the moon. Um, you can go to Mars and there's a, there's a military base on there. It's, um, it's really fascinating. But like I said, uh, most of this movie takes place really in Brad Pitt's mind as you have this, uh, this, uh, one person narration that's going through most of it. Uh, you have these, uh, constant, um, psychoanalysis, um, sessions that he has to do that uh that give you a little snippet into what he's thinking and where he's at and and really just turns into a movie of a of a man trying to live up to his father's legacy and his father's expectations for him uh and it just happens to take place you know in neptune uh it i i really was struggling how to how to take it because it was so different than what i expected it to be uh, I'm surprised. I'm actually not surprised that it hasn't been a huge box office hit because it's definitely not what you expect it to be. Um, with that said, uh, James Gray's direction is outstanding. The like I said, the visuals and the 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 cinematography in it are amazing, and Brad Pitt gives an absolutely outstanding performance, a complete polar opposite of what he's doing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, a lot of people are saying he might have a shot at a double nomination for this, but at the same time, he's also announced that he's not campaigning for any award season uh, notoriety, which might actually lead to him getting more more noticed because he's not going to do anything, and he's come out and said he's not going to do anything. Anyways, uh, I'm going to give this a solid three and a half stars. Uh, like I said, the visually it's stunning. Um, it is hypnotic in how it uh, how it portrays the story. Brad Pitt is amazing. Tommy Lee Jones is amazing. Um, and I kind of want to see it again, but it it's one you kind of got to be in the mood for at the same time. All right, so uh, I'm going to go to Zach next. Zach, what are you thinking about Ad Astra? All right, well, I the, knew the Terry movie, was... not the beer. Oh, the movie, not the beer. Yeah. Uh, thank you for clarifying. Yes, well, yes, I, you're welcome. I mean, Terry, have you ever given a movie in space thumbs down? Like, how about Muppets in Space? I bet <laughs> space you Space Cowboys. Up. Ooh, was horrible. Yeah, that, that was by not the way. Good. By the way, side note: I had to think about Space Cowboys watching this movie and having Donald Sutherland and Tommy Lee Jones still playing out over the hill astronauts. So and over the hill assholes. That's that's what well. I there's that too. <laughs> uh, okay, so you know what? 
Let, let's 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 go to the studio, the marketing room of this movie. Okay, listen, guys, we got Brad Pitt. You know, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. We have this all-star cast of Tommy Lee Jones and Donald Sutherland. And you know what? We have a huge budget. And it's about this story of, you know, a guy whose dad got lost in space. And, he, you know, he's, a, he's stuck on Neptune. Meanwhile, Brad Pitt's on Earth. But he can also go to the moon and Mars. And then his dad might be alive. And there's this cataclysmic disaster that's hitting the Earth with these power surges. And so Brad Pitt has to save the day. And these studio execs are probably there thinking, wow, this is an amazing concept let's do this man this sounds awesome this sounds like a fun ride i cannot believe how boring this movie was it was i it, i i i had problems staying awake during this movie you should not be talking about brad pitt on a spaceship going to neptune and the problem is that you can't stay awake for the whole freaking movie okay that's the problem <laughs> that i had that's the problem that everyone else in the audience had too so i mean and let's face know, it that's a problem brad pitt had it is a problem that Brad Pitt had. <laughs> I fell asleep so many times in this movie that I got lost. Um, I want to tell... Okay, I, I got to say a couple mild spoilers for this movie because it makes these stories a little funnier, okay? So, I fell asleep, for, you know, in, in the middle of the movie, and I'm waking up, and I'm sorry, spoilers ahead, be a little aware, I'm seeing monkeys rip out this guy's head, and I'm thinking, <laughs> what the hell am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> like space what? what the, there's space monkeys. What's space, going on space here? Monkeys and space pirates. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe maybe I misunderestimated this movie a little bit. Like really, this is where we're going. We're going to the creature feature genre, and and it's not discussed the rest of the movie. Now I I, I turned to my wife and at after the end of the movie, I was like, what the. F is with the space monkeys and how come they never mentioned they it again and she said, well, well <laughs> apparently it was you know some kind of spacecraft that was doing animal experimentation and i'm like that's the movie i want to see man brad pitt on a on a freaking spaceship with space monkeys r ripping out people's flesh okay that's the movie that i signed up to go see not this boring ponderous pretentious terrence malick bullshit okay and i love terrence malick but let's be honest for a second okay i watched james gray last film the the city of lost z or whatever i couldn't make it through 30 minutes of that movie either the guy has problems making making what should be easy uh fun exciting films and and he makes them really really boring okay now i will say the first five minutes of this movie is pretty cool because brad pitt does this really cool thing where he's on a satellite and then he and he falls off but i'm thinking this is only the second best scene this year where brad pitt was fixing a satellite okay the best one was in once upon a time in hollywood and he had his shirt off okay so let's get that for real right I just, I, I could not believe how boring this movie was. It was so slow, so ponderous. It was literally like the Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercial set to two hours in outer space, all right? With this boring, ponderous dialogue about, uh, you know, this existential crisis that this guy is facing. Even though, let's face it, and this is another mild spoiler coming up, Tommy Lee Jones, kind of a douchebag in this movie. Why are we honoring him, okay? we It is revealed by the end of this movie, I was awake to hear this part, that Tommy Lee Jones does some pretty bad shit in this movie and yet at the end of the movie it's like oh dad I missed you so much dad I love you you're a great man dad we're gonna take you back to earth dad no no he's a bad 
fucking guy, okay? So let's not honor his memory. Let's keep him out in outer space and let's kill him. Bring the space monkeys from the ship that was near the moon or Mars or whatever the hell it was. Take it to Neptune and rip his his, his head off, okay? That's the movie I want to see. Two stars. I don't want to rewatch it. I don't care about the parts I missed. Wow. Wow. I just, you know, wow. So bad. He was the hero we deserved or whatever. The Dark Knight. That's basically what he was at the, the end. The hero right? Gotham deserved. Exactly. <laughs> that, that that was maybe the most epic Zach rant we've had on the podcast so far. It did a disservice to the beautiful name of Ad Astra Beer. That's all I have to say. <laughs> the, the bear was here first. <laughs> it tarnished the legacy that is Ad Astra Beer. And you don't even like the beer. <laughs> no, it's not that great. <laughs> okay, well, I think Zach's Todd, crazy. Todd, I, I yeah, love the okay. movie. I actually love James Gray. I think he's a really unique filmmaker. Like, he could have made Two Lovers out to be, like, you know, just, like, some <coughs> sappy romance. He could have made The Lost City of Z with a bunch of battle scenes. And he could have made We Own the Night just be, like, a stupid crime caper. But he doesn't. Like, they're all just so different, and they're kind of beautiful. And this movie is way different than you expect, and it it, it is sort of, like, slow and, and uh, slow, uh, slow building, and but it's actually really interesting. And Brad Pitt, I think, is amazing. He's doing, like, he has no emotions by design, and that actually is a really interesting thing to do to a person that is really good with facial expressions. Like, his work, is like, in this, is, like, similar to what he did in The Assassination of Jesse James. I, and I think it's one of his best performances. It could have been written for, like, a Paul Newman or something in his prime. I feel like that he, is, he is so good in this movie. And I love his narration. I think it's... Uh, uh, it's really noirish. It's, it reminded me a lot of uh, Hardigan in Sin City, where it's like he's talking about what he's actually <laughs> feeling at the times, which is way way different than most uh, like first person narrations are in in these kinds of movies. And yeah, the movie is uh, sort of like this psychodrama mixed with a sci-fi epic kind of thing, but it's way better than Interstellar. It's it's more like Moon than anything else. And more, I guess, like, alien than aliens, because there are the, those moments, like, with the space pirates and stuff, where there are, like, these really intense parts of the movie. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I can't see how Zach fell asleep all, all that much. I, 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 th- I thought I was completely enthralled with the entire thing, and I was tired when I was watching it, so I, I don't know. It, it's like this, it's like this really interesting character study camouflaged as a sci-fi thriller, and I thought it was amazing. I give it three and a half stars. Yeah, I, I will say in, in in Zach's defense, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, I watched it, I caught a matinee of it uh, yesterday, and I almost went to a late night showing Friday night. And as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, I'm glad I didn't do the late night showing because I probably would have been dozing off a little bit because yeah. it is a movie you got to be in the mood for. And that was one of the reasons, I ended up giving it three and a half stars, but I was thinking as I... As I'm processing, I mean, this could be anywhere from like two and a half to three and a half for me because it was so, like Zach said, it was so different than what I was expecting. And I was debating with myself whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. I Going decided to a James it was a good Gray thing. movie thinking of one thing, and I would never think of a big space epic like Gravity or something. Like, that's not what he does. Like, I don't know how you could expect that. It's James Gray. Well, I wasn't talking about the director, I was talking about the concept, and Brad Pitt's in it, man. 
Brad Pitt should be, you know, this, this, this should be action Brad Pitt, man. I want to see more of that. I don't want to see some ponderous, you know, cold, distant, you know, existential crisis. I mean, it, and, and I got to be honest, I didn't even think Brad Pitt was that good in this movie. Like, he doesn't emote at all. And I get that the character is supposed to be cold, but we're supposed to have some emotional <coughs> connection. I mean, everyone, everyone last year bitched about Ryan Gosling in uh, First Man not having any emotion. But the reason he doesn't have any emotion in that movie is because his daughter died, okay? Brad Pitt in this movie finds out his dad is alive. That is exciting news. And how does he react? Uh, just, you know, blank stares He can't into have anything camera. else or they wouldn't let him fly. Like, that's the whole point. Like, they, they say that. He has to be without emotion in order to be clear to, to go on these... Uh, on these flights, I'm just saying. I I think that you know. Well, his blood, his his pulse never goes above eighty or something like that. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have. To, he can't have emotion. I just think it alienates us from him. Like, who is this person? He has issues with Liv Tyler, his wife. Okay, well, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Why don't we go into the psychology of the character instead of these blank stares? You know what this movie was like? It was like Meet Joe Black in outer space. Okay, and that shit was also unbearably long. Brad Pitt needs to cap his movies at two hours, and this movie was two hours. I couldn't believe it. I thought. <laughs> this shit was three hours i looked at my phone it's like only four o'clock are you kidding me i thought it was dinner this movie is so freaking long <sighs> and, I, and i like I, I like two lovers by the way two lovers is actually a really good movie I, I i don't hate james gray i just i hate this movie so Sounds a, like a couple th- a couple things about this movie that i found interesting um the first thing you see when the movie starts is this is a 20th century fox movie which means this is one of the first movies that fox made that was released under the new disney umbrella so technically this was a disney movie which is even more bizarre to think about that a james gray movie would be a disney movie but uh it was and and here here's a question i have for for the two of you uh we now have a a a space drama epic from all three leads from the oceans movies so who did it better Brad Pitt and Ad Astra, George Clooney and Gravity, or Matt Damon and The Martian? George or George Clooney and Solaris. Yeah, that, that oh, too. What, Todd? Oh, Clooney's not the he's not the lead. No, but you you have these these space epics with yeah, all three of them now yeah. in space. Yeah. So who did it better? So are, are we counting Matt Damon in Interstellar? Is that what you're saying? No, Matt Damon and The Martian. <laughs> no, we were saying no. Clooney and Solaris. <laughs> Clooney and Solaris. Well, whatever. We're messing up your bit, Terry. You had you this plan so well. Yeah. We're screwing it up. This is definitely uh, this is the best. This movie is what hap- This is what happens when we drink crap. That's that's what really is is happening here. What Todd? How about Julia Roberts in the movie she did in Notting Hill, where she was in outer space? That one was pretty good too. But it's a fake movie. <laughs> Todd, what were you saying? <laughs> I, this is the best movie of those three that you mentioned. Matt Damon gave the best performance of the three. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. Wait, I, Matt. Well, but you just said this this was the best movie at Astro. Well, yeah. Of of yeah of Gravity, The Martian, and this. Yeah. It's the, so you mean Brad Pitt gave the best performance? No. You say Matt Damon. I'm saying Matt Damon gave a better performance of Brad Pitt, but I'm saying this is the best movie of the three. Okay. Okay. Oh. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know I why that was so confusing. <laughs> that that was confusing. I didn't get it. Well, you, I thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was longing for The Martian watching this movie because if you look at Tommy Lee Jones's whole sub storyline, that's basically what happens to Matt Damon in The Martian. And Matt Damon in The Martian makes poop out of potatoes, right? Or potatoes out of poop. One, one, one. And I think that Zach, is what I, th- I, I wanted we, to see. I think we all make poop out of potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, but no one did it like like Matt, Matt Damon in that movie, though. I mean, he was able to communicate through his poop. <laughs> Make a radio gone, signal out of it. This has gone so far off the rails. My word. <laughs> okay, I, I think we should just move on. The, the, this has gotten way out of hand. Are you kidding? We should do a deep dive on this on this movie. You know what? I love talking about it. This is awesome. This Let, is so much better than the movie. Let's do a ten minute debate on Matt Damon's poop. <laughs> okay, now we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on. So Todd and I are are giving it three and a half stars. Uh, Zach is wrong in giving it two stars. Oh, America, America, tell Terry and Todd. There's no way that people think that this is a good movie. I mean, yeah, it's got good ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, but they're all pretentious assholes, too. Like, America, no one likes this movie. I don't know how anyone can sit there and actually assholes. have a fun time. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say. When, whenever, whenever has Zach been the one pleading to the pop culture side of the world and saying, To Tell have a less intelligent is- movie and have more space monkeys. <laughs> yes, more space monkeys, I say. And space pirates. Uh, my word. Space, what is- space pirates on those uh, go-karts, you know, on the moon. Mad Max style. More of that. Gosh, what has happened to us? Okay, we're moving on. Go see it. Don't go. See, I don't really care if you go see it. it it's it's a it's a <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, rousing endorsement. Terry you keep saying it's different. It's different than you think it is. It's different. That's just coded language for it sucks, Terry. Come on, just say it. You know it does. You, you know, it, it's, it's not different. what it's you different. expect. It's not what you were expecting. Exactly. It, that means it sucks. But it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Okay. I don't care what you say. Okay. Anyways, aye, aye, aye. let's move on, because the main topic for today is we are uh, doing another movie deep dive, and this one, I'm going to say, is probably the most uh, niche deep dive we have done, as this is, like, the ultimate guilty pleasure for Todd and Todd alone. Uh, Zach and I watched this movie this week for the first time in probably 15 years. Uh, and uh, and we watched it because Todd wanted to do a deep dive on it, and that is uh, <laughs> the 2000 film Boiler Room. We're selling stock for companies that don't exist. FBI, we'd like to talk to you about your relationship with Seth Davis. Somebody tells you they got money problems? Wrong answer. No, I want my money back. I'm sorry, Harry. I can't do that. I'm destroying people's lives. I want to get out of the firm. I don't care what you do anymore. Just get out of here. And uh, this movie is, let's see here, it is directed by Ben Younger, written by Ben Younger, starring Giovanni Urbisi, Vin Diesel, Nia Long, Nikki Katt, Scott Kahn, Jamie Kennedy, and we're going to be talking about it, uh, but first, before we talk about it, uh, we have some trivia to go through. Uh, If you haven't seen Boiler Room before, uh, pause the podcast, go watch it. It's actually a pretty good movie, even though I said it was crap a little bit ago. Um, 
go watch it and then come back to this and uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, trivia time. Uh, we're gonna go with uh, with Zach first because Todd is gonna blow you out of the water in this <laughs> trivia. So, Wouldn't it be uh, funny if I beat him though? That would be really funny. <laughs> And highly unlikely. So yeah. I could see a scenario where it happens. It's like the random things that Zach pays attention to, like space monkeys. Like, like there's like deep questions into space that or monkeys, something. Man. Yeah, could save every movie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so Todd, go ahead and unplug. All right. Okay. So Zach, we have uh, we have eight questions here. And uh, let's see here. I'm not sure how many points we have yet. But um, anyways, okay. So first question. You ready? I'm ready. Born born ready. First question. Can't wait. uh, What artist is quoted in the opening monologue? Oh, my God. Uh, Picasso? Let me me, uh, me specify a little bit. What rapper... (laughs) is quoted oh. in the opening monologue. <laughs> okay, thank you for that clarification. There's a, you know, there, that's a distinction that needs to be made. Um, what rapper? Uh, uh, Notorious B.I.G. Correct. Oh, I need to keep oh. track of points here. The only reason I got that is, I remember this is a New York City movie in, you know, East Coast. Okay, next one is worth, uh, is worth two points. Uh, the quote that is uh, quoted from Notorious B.I.G., says either you're blank or you're blank these are quite some trivia questions terry um either you are a buyer or a seller either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot yeah todd's gonna get that question yeah probably okay no uh question number two uh in the opening scene richie gets excited because of a jockey from what country and how much did that jockey weigh or did he say that jockey weighed are these questions only from the first 10 minutes of the movie? No. Um, okay, I, I believe the jockey weighed 45 pounds. 48 pounds. Oh, come on. You should give me credit for that. Now you sound like how about, me. How about, a, how about a half point for that? <laughs> I'll give it's you only three point. pounds up. You're going to need it. The country he's from, Spain? Venezuela. Venezuela. Hey, actually, you know, Spanish-speaking country. And then, and then Vin Diesel pops up and says he was actually 119 pounds, but you're close. Um, so what's the correct answer? 119 or 148? He's 119, but the Richie says he's 48. He's 48 okay. pounds. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, next question. What is the profession of Seth's father? A judge? Judge. Correct. Uh, when Seth first gets to the office, he said everyone looked and acted like what? This is kind of a specific one that Todd's going to probably get. Everyone looked and acted like... Um... Uh, uh, um, uh, they were were slinging cocaine. I don't know. They took the 6 train to Fulton Street every day, but instead they were an hour from Wall Street. I remember that line. You should specify that quote, because he's talking about when he makes the drive out on Long Island. Right, right. But don't specify it for Todd. Yeah, I'll give it it to Todd the same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question. What is the monthly phone bill at JT Marlin? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, was it... <clears throat> 400 grand? 400 grand is correct. 
Uh, oh, don't you just love the late 90s? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Next question. This is worth two points. What are the two rules that are given to Seth as a, as a broker at JT Marlin? Good. I'm glad you asked this question. Uh, don't pitch the bitch. That is one. And don't sell the wood. Yep. Good job. Uh, next question. What is the name of the stock Seth is, was selling to Harry with uh, the house down payment? Uh, Ferrotech. Correct. And your last question. What is the last word of the movie? Job. Correct. Didn't do too bad. You know what? Not too bad. No, no. I, That's I, respectable. I did just fine. That's respectable. Very respectable. All right. Todd, come on back. All right. <clears throat> Let's see how you did. Zach had a very respectable outing, so uh, you're going to actually have to have to know what you're talking about here. Okay. Okay. Uh, first question. Uh, what rapper is quoted in the opening monologue? Notorious B.I.G. That is correct. In his quote, his quote, this is worth two points. His quote says, either you're blank or you're blank. Either you're slinging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Both of those are correct. You're right, Zach. You would get that one. Uh, next question. Uh, Richie gets excited because of a jockey from what country and how much does he say he weighed? Uh, 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 he said, I don't know. He's like, I think he said Australia or something. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's a, no, it's no, it's no, it's somewhere in Africa. It's, uh, I'm going to say Nigeria and he says he weighs like 38 pounds or something. You're, you're close kind of on the weight says he's from Not venezuela venezuela okay. venezuela and he weighs like 48 pounds and then vin diesel yeah, says it's actually 119 but you're close um no he doesn't say but you're close he calls him some a name a, like yeah a, a, probably insults him or something okay. all right next question what is the profession of seth's father uh, he's a judge okay a tough one Oh, that was a tough one. I had to throw one in there. Uh, next question. When Seth first gets to the office, he said everyone looked and acted like what? Well, well I, he says it's like, it was like a Hitler Youth Rally in, in retrospect. Uh, before, well, yeah, but that's not what he... Uh, that's not what I'm going for. He, he, he gets there and he says everyone look, looked and acted like blank yeah he because he says uh it was really far away from wall street but you couldn't tell because they uh everyone looked and acted like i don't know i i don't know what word he uses yuppies they took the sixth train to fulton street every day ah the sixth train to fulton street okay yeah that's right yep all right next question uh what is the monthly phone bill at jt marlin uh well this month it was approaching 400000 There you go. Uh, what are the two rules Seth is given as a broker? Uh, don't pitch the bitch and don't write wood. There you go. Those are the two. Uh, what is the name of the stock Seth was selling to Harry who had the house down payment? Um, Ferrotech. And the last question, what's the last word of the movie? Job. And with a score of nine to seven and a half, Todd wins. 
All Cutting because of that half. first line. I, he, he, I, I gave him a half for saying 45 pounds. He was pretty darn close. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, I thought, and, I, and I thought he was going to knead it up against you. Wait, you didn't get the quote right? He, he even quotes it again at the end of the movie. I know, that's, I know. That's the one he, I missed. He says it several yeah. times. No, I know, when I, I said... I, at first, I said, what artist is quoted in the opening monologue? And he said, Picasso. And I said, hold on a second. What? Yeah, I should have lo- lost points for that. <laughs> should have, yeah, at least said, half point. I said, hold on, hold on. What rapper is quoted? And then he said, Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> Picasso would have been fun to quote in this movie. but Yeah. All right. Well, well Todd, since you won and this is your movie, uh, tell us what Boiler Room is all about. Uh, okay, Boiler Room is about this guy named Seth Davis who uh, dropped out of uh, college and was full-time running an illegal gambling, uh, like a, basically a card room out of his apartment. And uh, his father is a judge, and so like Ad Astra, it's about fathers and sons and like how he's trying to live up to his father's expectations and stuff. But uh, he uh, gets this job opportunity at a place called J.T. Marlin, which is uh, where he's uh, being trained to be a stockbroker, and quickly he realizes it's not exactly the way it looks, and he is kind of forced into a situation where he wants to find out how the place is not legitimate and how they make their money and how it's different from the other Wall Street firms because this is a good hour away from the New York Stock Exchange or whatever. And, he, uh, and so he's in this crisis of wanting to do what's right because of his father and also faced with like the realities of what he's doing but he gets really into it and becomes like the next big swinging dick of this firm and it's Giovanni Ribisi and he is completely awesome in this movie honestly like to me this is the most rewatchable movie of all time like I I I've watched this movie so many times. I watched it twice in the last week just because it's it was always on TV. I've caught it like a ton of times. And I, I quote it in more than I actually realized that I quote it. There, there are, like, little things I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where I get that from. It's really strange. <laughs> like, like uh, so at work at, at FedEx, like, when we'd be offloading cans, like, I, I would, I trained all the other people to yell, Recco, whenever, like, a manager would be coming around the, the door, <laughs> or the, 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 like, the corner. Just because, like, when I hear Recco, I think, like, oh, I got to pay attention now. So, like... So like uh my our buddy Adam Daly can attest to this because uh yeah you know Recco that means a manager's coming or something. You 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 taught Adam to say this at the station. Oh yes yeah. <laughs> he he was actually late to the party too because like I I had I had that going for a good year before Adam even got there, but uh and then uh, it's directed by Ben Younger who also did this movie called Bleed for This which actually cited our website in its Oscar campaign. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Oh, so, that's right! I forgot about. Uh, I didn't realize Ben Younger did both of them. Nice. And then his other movie was this like this really, podcast. really strange like uh, romantic comedy with my two favorite actresses in it. So I feel like I'm on the same page with Ben Younger because this is the most Todd movie ever made, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I just I feel like we have the same sensibilities. Yeah. Well, and and uh, right before we started this, uh, we were talking about it just a little bit and zach and i both agreed in re-watching this like i said neither of us have watched this in about 15 years we'd both seen it just like once and thought it was good but not worth revisiting and then as we're watching it again like half hour in we're both just like this is the a total todd movie like through and through 
So, uh, Zach, why don't you uh, give a little bit about what you thought of Boiler Room? Yeah, I actually texted Todd. I said, uh, poker, drinking, <laughs> hookers, stock market, um, illegal gambling, illegal sports betting, all in the first 10 minutes. This is the most Todd movie of all time. Don't forget Nikki Cat. That that makes it a Todd movie as well. <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> really, I didn't know T- Todd's admiration for the Catman. Really, I, I, I didn't realize that either. <laughs> Maybe it's just one of those guys. He's always in my favorite movies. <laughs> uh, anything else? Yes. Like? Oh uh, well, all I have to say is uh, I did not remember anything from this movie except for Ben Affleck. I didn't even remember that Vin Diesel was in it. I, I, I literally nothing, you know, was in my brain rewatching or you know having to rewatch this movie. Um, so yeah, it, you must it have watched it was, after you watched that Astra. I mean, that that it seemed to empty your brain quite well. No, I watched Boiler Room before at Astra. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, I liked I liked this strained father son relationship more than the father going to Neptune and getting lost. You know, I found I found this one slightly more plausible. Yeah, I I I enjoy this movie, um, especially on rewatching it. I look back and I gave it originally two and a half stars, and I don't know why. I mean, Ouch. it's a, it's at least a three star movie. Um, it, it's it's a solid it's a solid film. It's a uh, it's a top I mean, hundred of all time. It, it's it's definitely a top a hundred Todd movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. Top ten Todd movie of all time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's the younger brother to every Wall Street movie. Whether you're talking Wall Street, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, however you want to look at it, this is like that movie's younger brother. Of of let's let's make one of those movies just with all twenty somethings, and that would be this movie. So um, Todd, can you like quote this movie like they can all quote uh, Wall Street? Yeah, pretty like, much. You could just watch it and you know just just quote extensive long passages from the movie. Yeah, well, I did trying to figure out what the hell Terry's question was asking me. <laughs> Pointed like the rest of the scene. Apparently, right? that's that's one question you don't use for the scene. <laughs> but, I thought uh, that'd be one that you could you could come up with. I thought I thought you'd have that one. But I I, I love how the movie does like it, it totally pay. It, it's I mean it's, it doesn't pay homage and it's not stealing from these movies. It likes straight up like we Good. love these movies just as much as everybody else does. So we're gonna like clearly be. We're gonna be like ABC, always be closing. We're gonna be like have a whole scene where the cast just like is quoting the scene on the screen of Wall Street, and like they totally have those scenes like in American Psycho where they all just act in like complete assholes about something really superficial, and uh, obviously it's the story of Jordan Belfort and the Wolf of Wall Street like in a different light because they didn't have the rights to actually tell the real story. <coughs> so I don't know. It's a uh, I don't know. I think it's something special, and I, like I said, it's just super rewatchable. Like every, there's so many quotable lines, so many awesome characters and actors. Like at at the beginning of their prime, like this is the year before the the Fast and the Furious for Vin Diesel, and this was the year of Gone in sixty seconds for Scott Con, and this was like the beginning of like of Giovanni BC actually being in movies, and uh, Ben Affleck, of course, was like the biggest star at the time of of anybody there. It's uh, it's a I don't know. I, I've always loved this movie, and I, I I appreciate it. And I don't think that you guys do as much, but that's okay. I appreciate it much more now that I've rewatched it. But uh, but let, let's let's get into this a little bit and and do our and do our deep dive yeah. stuff. What do what what do we want to start with? We always start with highest war. Yeah. Right. Okay. 
Yeah. So, uh, so Zach, I'm going to go to you first. What What was the highest war performance of anybody in this movie? Uh, well, like Todd said, this is, you know, uh, a, a lot of up and coming actors from the early 2000s in this movie. There's a lot of a lot of people to choose from in this movie. We'll talk about Giovanni Ribisi in this movie. I have a few issues with his performance, even though I, I would agree it's, it's a it's a challenging role. Um, but I think in the end, if we're just talking about straight war, um, I think I'm going to go with uh, Vin Diesel's performance as Chris Varick. That's great, Doc, if you want to miss yet another opportunity here and watch your colleagues get rich doing clinical trials and don't buy a share and hang up the phone. Well, hold on a second now. I didn't say that. I just want to talk about it some more. Honestly, Doc, I don't have the time. This stock is blowing up right now. The whole firm's going nuts. Hold on. Let me open up the door to my office. I think he's one of the only brokers at the firm who's not a total asshole. And, um, I, but he still fits in with the culture really well. And he's higher level than the Giovanni Ribisi character. So he's quote unquote made it. But he's a more sympathetic character. I mean, we learned that he lives with his mom. You know, uh, at the end of the movie, Giovanni Ribisi wants to you know, help him out. He wants, he's protective of him. There's this kind of brotherly fraternistic relationship between them so i think that having that hard edge being believable as one of these asshole traders but also having a softer side to make him more relatable at least you know certainly relative to the nikki cat character um i think that's probably the trickiest role in the movie and i think vin diesel did a really good job yeah, yeah I th- okay go for it I was just going to say, you, you you watch a movie like this, especially knowing it came out a year before Fast and the Furious, and you realize that Vin Diesel actually can act. You know, he gets such a bad rap for all the Fast and Furious movies about, you know, what what he turned into of just being this mindless action star. But no, this, he, this movie made me long, for, made me miss Vin Diesel. You know, I'm nostalgic for him. I mean, he was awesome in the early 2000s. You're absolutely right, Terry. Like, he had a great range. Um, he was in that, uh, what was the, what was the, the Sidney Lumet movie? Find Me Guilty. He was really good in that movie. He's really yeah. good in Triple X, Pitch Black. He's, uh, you know, he, he's a, a really versatile actor. It's sad to see that he doesn't do as much work anymore, but, but this was, you know, up there with some of his best work. Yeah. yeah. His performance in this movie, I've always loved to, and he, it's, uh, he, he's just like magnetic on screen when he, when he's, uh, doing that call with Dr. Jacobs and stuff, like, it, it's just, like, clear, like, he is the, he is the star of the movie, like, the whole place basically shuts down just to, like, watch him do his thing, because he's that awesome, and you, you love his character, and yeah, he does have the actual, a little bit of emotion, uh, near the end of the movie, which is unlike any of the other asshole characters in the, in the movie. Can I also just make a separate category for Vin Diesel? Maybe we'll bring this up later. But for what it's worth, I think he's the best dressed in the movie. His, his suits are the best. He's got the best wardrobe. His colors mesh the best. This is a movie very much about fashion. He looks the best in this movie. So there you go. Makes, makes bolsters the case for highest war. All right. I'm going to go next. Uh, my highest war, I'm going to go with Ben Affleck. I am a millionaire. It's a weird thing to hear, right? I tell you, it's a weird thing to say. I am a fucking millionaire. I guess how old I am? Twenty-seven. You know what that makes me here? A fucking senior citizen. This firm is entirely comprised of people your age, not mine. Lucky for me, I happen to be very fucking good at my job, or I'd be out of one. You guys are the new blood. You're gonna go home with the Kessif. You are the future big swinging dicks of this firm. As uh, as Jim Young, and the reason is. You've got to go back to when this movie came out. 
So this movie came out in 2000. Like Todd said, he's the biggest star in this movie. I mean, this is two years after Goodwill Hunting. And he's really the only one in this movie that is a star. And so you, you put all that in into context, and then you give him this little bit role to come in and basically give an Alec Baldwin-esque speech several times um, to, uh, to the troops to kind of rally them up and get them excited. So who do you get? You get the guy who's like most known at this time for being the biggest celebrity douchebag. And, and this guy that everyone else in there is going to be in awe of, and because the actors were in awe of him. I mean, here's this guy, mid-20s, already has an Oscar, making tons of money, and he's going to come in and give this monologue that's going to make all those other actors go, crap, I wish I could do that someday. And that's exactly what happens. And he steals the scenes that he's in, and he's able to do it because of who he was in that moment and who everybody else was in that movie. So nobody else could have done it like him because nobody else was in a position like Ben Affleck at that time in 2000. So he's got my highest war. Yeah, I can't go highest war for him because he's just doing Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross, right? I mean, the, the You're right. Role, I mean, it, this is a cynical. That's a cynical perspective, but it's kind of true. Like, it already has been done before, so... Right, I, but, it's a good performance, but it's not a high war. But that's what I'm saying. In this movie, coming out in the year 2000, no one else could fill that role quite like Ben Affleck could. Or like Alec that Baldwin. role was that role. Well, no, Alec Baldwin. It would have made no sense if Alec Baldwin yeah, played you, that you role in 2000. Too old. Like, yeah, you have to be because uh, he he was playing a 27 year old, and he was supposed to be the oldest guy there, and he did look older right. than that a little bit. But he, yeah, I don't know. Except for shades. Shades was Shades Michael. was a little older, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Todd. Who's your highest war? Well, uh, my my choice would have been Vin Diesel, but for the sake of argument, I'll, I have a couple other ones that I'll highlight. One of which is uh, Taylor Nichols as Harry Renard, because I, I feel like that guy is like the perfect as playing this like really poor schmuck, and like without his like his story, the movie would be incredibly shallow. Which it was like the one problem with the Wolf of Wall Street is that it never actually had anything where it showed like what they were actually doing to people, and I think he like he makes the movie not meaningless because you actually do feel for him, and because uh, y- you can uh, relate to his situation, and also Nikki Cat. Did you see Glengarry Glen Ross? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember ABC? Yeah. Always be closing. That's right. Always be closing. Telling's not selling. That's the attitude you want to have. Okay. Now there's two rules you have to remember as a trainee. Number one, we don't pitch the bitch here. Okay. Number two, don't write wood. All right. Just because he's like the perfect at playing that like sleazy asshole classic villain type character, and it's not all that difficult of a role to play. But you know he's a Jew and he has the mind of a champion, so he's he's awesome. Is that a line from the movie? Yeah, <laughs> that that was. <laughs> well, that, that's we don't what know it, that... this. We don't know this movie like you do. So that's you what say he says. It kind of goes over our head. He says that uh, when he gets his uh, his bookies money, oh, uh, FedEx, and then he's like, "How do you get away with this?" He's like, "Oh, because I'm a Jew and I have the mind of a champion." I mean, I, I yeah. love you, Todd, but this isn't like <laughs> Casablanca. Okay, we're not going to get these references. <laughs> I, I will you say gotta... that. Taylor Nichols is a is a good is a good call because uh, I mean he's he's this movie's Jonathan Price right Jonathan Price in in right. Glengarry I mean he's the one that grounds it and gives it a heart so uh, yeah good call on that Thank okay you. where are we going next 
Uh, worst performance. Okay, we go worst performance. Worst performance. All right. Is this like is this worst performance or is this like worst character? I mean, there's there's performance. Worst performance. Because we have the, we have the biggest douchebag later, and there's, okay. there's quite a few contenders for that. Yeah, one. Yeah, I I have a suggestion for that category when we get to it. Okay. Okay. So uh, so worst performance. Who wants to go first? I'll go first since we just talked about my pick for the worst performance as you both praised this performance. And I'm going to go with Taylor Nichols as Harry Renard. (laughs) And I think this guy's really goofy. I I mean, I I will say, I think it's, I I will fully admit, one of the flaws I have with this movie is with the Harry Renard character. I understand that you want to humanize the face of, you know, someone who's been victimized by the, the, you know, by the brokers. That that's fine, but this guy is so stupid. I, he's so gullible. You know, how could someone with that much expendable money, who's about to put money down on a house and has a has a family with kids? and is ostensibly successful in life, how could he fall for, for Seth? I think that's one of the flaws in the movie. We'll get to flaws later. But it certainly isn't helped by this stupid, you know, grinning, you know, goofy guy with glasses. And it just, it, he looks all wrong for the part. And it's just so cheesy. And I don't really feel for him at all. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he? No. No. I thought he had glasses. Are you talking well, about Dr. Maybe Jacobs? Maybe I think the wrong character. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Dr. Jacobs. Although I thought he was pretty gullible, too. Uh, no, I thought I thought he had glasses. I think we need to. No, I think he, we need the, to the only thing up. I've ever seen that guy in was like I, I feel like it was like an insurance commercial or something. Like I, I've seen him on a commercial. I was like, that's the guy from Boiler Room, and I've never seen him since. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna do an investigation. We'll see if he's uh, sans glasses or not, or sans rock. <laughs> he sans rock after the end of this movie, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, it's the worst performance in the movie. Come on. You know, grow no, up a little well, bit. Well, I would go with his wife before I would go with him. Like, she's awful. Yeah, you have, you have more <laughs> yeah, sympathy she's not for him either. because he has I would, to put, I would agree to put with up with her. <laughs> well, that's why you don't pitch the bitch. Yeah, exactly. But I I, I would agree that... Uh, oh, shat. Oh, shoot. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, shat. Carry on. <laughs> I'm trying to see if he's wearing glasses. He doesn't. Right, Todd, I've you... seen this movie. <laughs> Todd, okay, I'll, go I'll, go with, I'll take your word for it, Todd. I think okay, you probably right. have seen this movie more than I have. Okay, I don't think there are really any bad performances other than maybe Susan Renard, which I'm not going to actually say that. I'm gonna go, but uh, I'm gonna go with Tom Everett Scott as uh, Michael because it's not that he's bad. Like, it's just that I don't really see him being able to excite all these people in the room the way that it, it portrays him as doing. Like, he's. He's not inspiring. He's not Jordan Belfort. I, I feel I feel like he's absent from the movie, not because he had to be and not because he couldn't be hands-on, but because he wasn't any good. And I it's like I mean, I that character should have been played by Ben Affleck, I feel like. And but uh, Tom Everett Scott is just sort of there. Like Michael is the guy who just like randomly pops in and and it's like, hey, he's like, hey, you know, Med Patton and talks about the retractable syringe. It's like I, why are all they, them all fired up for him? Like, I feel like they don't even talk to him. <laughs> because he sucks. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's a criminal. I, I, I have a few that I was gonna that I was gonna go with, and that was one of them as the most miscast. Because I love Tom Everett Scott. This was not the role for him. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, the, the mastermind behind this whole thing doesn't look and sound like that. It should have like, been Ben Affleck, right? Like, Ben Affleck should have been the guy that's, like, go, taking them on the road trip to the that hotel. And, like, you know, everyone's, like, doing blow. And, and then he gives, like, the hookers to 
to uh, Scott Collins' character Richie. Yeah. And all that, yeah. You, know? you, you don't you don't expect to see. Affleck. You don't expect to be to see Shades as the guy who's who's masterminding the whole thing. So, I, but um, I, I overall I agree with you. However, I do think he's really good in the scene at the end of the movie where Giovanni Ribisi says, "I, I want to sell the give the guy his money back." I, yeah. I think Tom Tom Everett Scott is fine in that scene. He's he's good there. But you're right; the other scenes it doesn't work as well. And and and, and I, I agree. He he's he's good in that, but like it just he doesn't work in that role. I mean, he does a fine job in that moment, but he, it just does. There could have been so many better. He's got the least war, like he's got negative war because he just was miscast. Yeah, that, uh, that that's sort of why. Yeah, that, that yeah, worst performance or lowest war or yeah, yeah. That, that, that's okay, cool. so I ha- I have two other two others I want to mention for worst performance, and they're more because I just hate their characters, um, and they're just written poorly. One I'm gonna mention as having the worst line in the entire movie, and the delivery of it was almost comical. And that is uh, Donna Mitchell's portrayal of uh, Seth's mom, and it's it's when it's when they're sitting down for for lunch, and uh, and the and Seth's dad starts throwing the poker chips across the table, and his mom's response is, <laughs> "Are those drugs? Are those drugs? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like, are you so much of an idiot that you've never seen a poker chip before? <laughs> it I, is I the love worst that line." Lo- like I heard that line, I'm like, that is the worst line I've heard in a halfway decent movie in a long time. <laughs> so, so I mean, that that has to be one of them. The other one I'm gonna mention is Jamie Kennedy, just because I hate Jamie Kennedy. And oh, is, I love. And he is such oh, he's a, just an idiot, and I. Like there, there are some characters that are written as idiots in here. Scott Kahn is a perfect example. He's just written as oh, he's written basically as the same character he played in Gone Sixty Seconds, just if he were a stockbroker. Um, and in the Ocean's movies, you could even say too, just this the muscle with the hot temper, but somehow is a stockbroker. But Jamie Kennedy is like just a sleazy idiot, and I just hate his face. <laughs> Ouch. I'm yes, not even sure yes. exactly what his job is, like, like, because he's clearly a broker, but he's not a senior broker, I don't think. But I don't think he's. A, you don't see him ever actually working, other than the very first time Seth walks into the room. Like, other than that, he's he, just so he's always there and he's hanging out with the guys. Yeah, I, I, I would question whether or not he actually works there. I think, I think he just, I think he's just there to party, man. <laughs> but he brings Greg to Seth. He's got to at least work there. I don't know. No, no, he he's he's just showing him the party. Uh, that, that's all. That's all he's there for. Hey, I know a place we can party. So he goes. Can I confess something? <laughs> yeah. Can I make a confession? So I I didn't fall asleep watching this movie, but I still don't know who Scott Kahn and Jamie Kennedy were in this movie. I I can't <laughs> tell their I I can't pick their faces out like. Who are they? What 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 characters were they? So Scott Kahn is Richie. He's the guy who like beats up every person who gives them flack in a bar. Yeah, he and he's the guy okay. who's he's like he's like you can't sit down ever again. You know? Yeah, I remember that. He's like berating yeah. his okay. employees all the time. And and Jamie Kennedy is the guy that that Seth knows that brings uh that brings Greg, Greg to the to the poker room. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we should go to favorite Got minor it. character because. Jamie Kennedy as Adam is my favorite minor character. Dude, you're killing me, man. 
Like they just oh. named the their firm that so it sounds like ours. Like ever like I need some chokine, you know, some some nose candy, you know. Like I like way to make me just look I'm, I'm sitting at the kitty table. Like he, every everything he does, just, like every he's so odd. He, I don't think he has a normal voice. Like, but everything is is just so funny the way he says it. I I love that character just because. It's not even that it's Jamie Kennedy. I can't stand him either. Like Malibu's Lewis wanted one of the worst movies ever. But like him and this is just yeah. it, it's it's he's just like quirky side character that's awesome. Jamie Kennedy represents everything that was wrong with the early two thousands. <laughs> Except for, wasn't he one of the guys that you could play in one of our football games? Yeah. 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 Was that 2K5 or was that 2K? Yeah, it was 2K... 2K5, yeah. Yeah, 2K5. You could play Jamie Kennedy or Steve-O or... David Arquette or... David Arquette. <laughs> that was weird. Or That was Carmen a weird Electra. twist they put. Yeah, Carmen Electra. There was some other random one. Funk Master Flex. That was it. Funk Master Flex. You're welcome. Pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, back to back to boiler room. Zach, go ahead. <laughs> so my favorite minor character is Doctor Jacobs. Um, I think he's pretty awesome. You know, he uh, he really falls into like he's a much more believable victim because you can see the way that like you know at first he's like you know shrugging it off. He doesn't want to buy anything, and then the moment that Seth makes that slight you know shift in tone to like making it something desirable and competitive for he's like yeah i'm down for 2000 shares of that and you know any you just need a fat jolly old doctor in any movie to cheer it up and to give it a little life and uh yeah he's he's awesome he's my favorite Meyer character yeah he he didn't want to get left behind the other doctors because he's like wait a minute like you can only do 2000 like He's like, hold on, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do two. And I love, I love that he's, I love that he's like looking at a chart at the same time. Like he's, he's in the middle of like a serious medical procedure, and he's like <laughs> talking about his stock options at the phone on the phone. Like that's pretty badass if you're able to like, you know, uh, like multitask like that. Like you know, as a medical practitioner, and you know, think about your personal finances. I think that's pretty cool. I, I you know, he's he, he's pretty solid. He's got credit. And then and then he just invests like ten grand into some drug that he's never heard of, <laughs> in Fenadryl. Uh, okay, so my favorite uh, my favorite minor character, I'm gonna go with Seth's dad, um, Judge Marty Davis, played by Ron Rifkin. I've always loved Ron Rifkin, and he's never in enough stuff, and uh, and he's like the one guy in this entire movie that just stops and says, "What the hell is going on? This is this is ridiculous. This is insane. Stop it." stop it <laughs> and and he like he's he's the moral the moral compass of the entire movie but at Until the same he's time not, he's the he moral he's to the, make him not get caught yeah at the at the same time he's the moral compass just so he could keep his job did you notice that <laughs> but uh but no i love ron rifkin in everything and he hasn't been mentioned yet so i'm gonna say he's my favorite minor character did Ron Rifkin ever play George W. Bush in a movie? He really looks like George W. Bush in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, he's got he the, could do the, that. the right face much better than Sam Rockwell, I, I would guess. Well, that's not hard to do, but... Hey, Sam Rockwell got an Oscar nomination. If Sam Rockwell can get an Oscar nomination, then Ron Rifkin could, could win an Oscar for playing George W. Bush. There you go. There you go. All right. What next? Want to go as Stickman? Sure, let's let's yeah. do it. Okay, well, I guess Man. I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> I've got I, uh, my my uh, biggest Stickman is Jim Young, played by Ben Affleck, because 
he can talk his way into anything. Like, he says, like, uh, Seth says he could sell Bubblegum to the Lockjaw Ward at Bellevue. Like, and, and that, that, that really is him. Cause he's got that swagger. He just doesn't give a damn either. It's like, I mean, cause he's got, and he's got that ridiculous house in the South Fork and his, uh, Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? You know, like, and he's liquid. Like, he's just like, he's got that slick swagger. He's totally a stick man. That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to go see, uh, I'm, I'm going to say the most potential for a stick man would be, uh, Nikki Cat's character Greg, if he wasn't all hung up on Abby, he like he could have actually been a stick man. Like the fact that he gives her like a pager and she goes, uh, "We're through," and his response is, "I disagree." <laughs> I mean, that that's the type of confidence you need to be a stick man. But he's he won't he won't uh, he won't just leave it alone. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say him as the most potential to be a stick man, but then he just becomes a dick instead. And he's actually the one with gas to put in his car. Yeah. Yep. And the $2 rip uh, license plate. <laughs> All right, Zach, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm going to go with the guy at the group interview who took the Series 7 and Ben Affleck kicks him out. Because yes. if you think about it, like, so he already has his, his broker's license. Okay, so he's getting it in. He can he can talk the talk, and he's no longer working at J.T. Marlin because you know he get, didn't get hired there, so he didn't get implicated by the SEC or the FBI. So he's like ostensibly somewhere on Wall Street, you know, uh, with his Series Seven license. He doesn't even need to spend three hundred dollars for the book. I mean, hey, there's a night out, right? And he's getting it in. Let's be honest, okay? More than any of these other assholes who are all in jail, probably. At but, the same time, how pathetic do you have to be? To already be a licensed broker and be have to apply to JT Marlin. Well, if I you mean, want to make like way more money, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I think it's funny about the three hundred dollars for the uh, for the uh, Series Seven book. Like every time someone is like uh, like uh, opening up like a wad of cash to me, I always think like what last night's erection. Like I think every time because of that because <laughs> that line when when Seth is just like, all right, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure I'm the only line. person. I strange. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a man. strange line. The delivery was kind of weird. I I, I didn't get <laughs> but it. That's, the joke kind of fell flat. <laughs> but it sticks out in my head, and that's why I think about whenever someone's like opening up a wad of cash. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's what she said. Yep. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, do we want to go? All right. Come. Let's go from from stick man to douchebag. But I want to. I want to. I want to potentially change this category for this movie alone. Well, for, because well, I will say first, when we did our biggest douchebags top five, I said the entire firm of JT Marlin. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that just was like brushed over by you guys. But like, I, I really do feel like that is a uh, legitimate. And so, so this is why I'm, I'm proposing a change to this category as, uh, the least douchey of the JT Marlin employees. Oh, okay. See what you did there. Because they're all, like you said, Todd, they're all douchebags. So which one is the the least douchebag of the douchebags? But my biggest douchebag doesn't work at JT Marlin. Yeah, oh, okay, then either. go ahead. Oh, dude, seriously? <laughs> wow. That, that whole, felt flat, Terry. That was a nice firm. setup again, but... I mean, I'll, I'll think about yours, though. Uh, okay, okay. 
Well, yeah. then give yours, and I'll I'll think. All right. Well, I was gonna go with Seth's dad. I mean, he's a total douchebag. Like, he's you know, he he doesn't even care when his son breaks his leg, right? And all he wants to do is chew Seth out. He shows up at all of these like places with Seth which are also double as iconic New York City locations because this movie just it needs to show you that it actually shot in New York City. That was sort of annoying. But it's like he shows up to the diner for like literally five minutes and leaves. Like, I mean, it must it must have been a bitch getting down to that diner in the middle of Manhattan, right? So like, and he just leave, get up and leave. And, you know, he just berates his son all the time. He's a total jerk. And you know what? Anyone that is, I mean, this is one of the biggest douchey moves I've ever seen in a movie. Not only berating your son for uh, uh, operating an illegal casino, so that he doesn't have to ask you for any money, by the way, douchebag. Not only do you yell at him and berate him for it, you bring f***ing props, okay? You bring those, you, you bring poker chips to the table and throw them on a table like an asshole. Like an asshole into right here, food. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, into the food. Into the freaking food. The guy's a total douchebag. I would prefer to spend my time with anyone from JT Marlin over Judge what's his any day of the week. And you know what? Let's also be honest. This judge couldn't get into the judge's game in rounders because he is so much of a douche and he's so inept and so corrupt and bad at, at life. So, loser. Stick it All to right. you. And I have no idea why Giovanni Ravisi is so stuck, stuck up on, or, you know, uh, struck with, uh, you know, uh, feelings of uh, inadequacy because of his dad. F*** you, dad. Because he slapped him when he broke his leg. Yeah, how's that not the douchiest character in the movie? In a movie full of douches, by the way. But well, I think that that's a good one. The, I, I think the J.P. Morgan uh, guys that they meet at the bar are even more douchey than the J.T. Marlin guys. Yeah, uh, that's a good one because I they, they totally are just like Wall Street yuppies, and they 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 have like no dignity either. They're just like pieces of shit that are hanging out at this bar, making fun of the other brokers that are hanging out at the bar who are actually like minding their own business like those guys are just like complete assholes i hated those characters more than i hated anybody else like other than richie richie definitely is a complete like moron and he's gonna fight anybody but other than that everybody else is just like yeah whatever get away from us all right i'm i'm trying to figure mine out here so you don't have a douchiest character? Oh, because you were thinking we were going to do... You You yeah, had... Yeah, well, I'm trying to think... I'm trying to go, on I'm trying to go outside... I'm trying See to go outside J.T. Marlin here, and uh, and you guys took some really good ones. Um, oh, okay, so... No, 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 I know who I'm... I'm going to go with... Uh, my, my biggest douchebag is the uh, the guy that gets uh, kicked out of the interview for, uh, for calling the guy who wanted to sit at the head of the table oh, a dumbass. yes. Yeah, one. yeah. He he's yeah. he's my big he's my biggest douchebag. What I love at, about that scene is that like he's like, sorry, this is my seat, and then he's like, oh, he, he gets up, and then he takes the chair and he just like shoves it into the corner. He doesn't even sit down. He's like, he's like, this is my seat, as in like I stand here, and then he walks around the whole table during this while he's talking. He doesn't even stand there. <laughs> so it's a lovely little bit of uh, posturing. That is true. I never thought about that. That in, in in none of those scenes does he ever sit in that chair. He must have just really had had a bit of a power trip there and need to show him who was boss. Yeah. All right. All right, Terry. Did you figure it out? F- figure out what? Oh, that was his. 
Well, I don't know. Totally I, I just gave mine. I don't oh. know who the no, least. No, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure person. something out. So as I'm going along here, Todd, you'll appreciate this, and Zach, you won't care at all. Todd, did have you <laughs> have you seen? I, I was just going down the cast list trying to figure this out. That Desmond Harrington was in this. I did not know that. No. He he was a, he's he's credited. Is he credited or was he uncredited? He was. Uh, yeah, no, he was credited as a J.P. Marlin trainee. Wow, man, he's been young. Yeah, he. I just found a picture of him. He was really young. Well, one of the one of the co-writers of Toy Story Four is in the movie too. Will McCormick. He's the guy uh, who's gambling at the beginning. Who's all pissed off that uh, that Seth uh, goes tells his friend to go order falafel for. <laughs> like he was one of the writers of Toy Story Four. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I am actually. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, Desmond Harrington, he's he's a guy from Dexter, Zach. If watch Dexter, and you'll know who Desmond Harrington is. I should have figured. Yeah. Okay, so did did you come up with in with a least douchey uh, J J T Marlin employee? Well, I would say Seth's buddy, uh, who was one of the other trainees, who's uh, the guy who actually had the seat that Ben Affleck said was his, and then he sits back down, because he's the guy uh, who's, who eventually is telling him, that, you know, like, hey, that's not your table, get over here. And, he, and he's actually sounds sincere on the phone when he when they're, like, trying to not uh, do a complete fire sale over the Ferrotech plunging thing. Like, that, that guy seems like a really sincere, actually kind-hearted guy, and I don't think he's a douche. I'm going to go with Michael Brantley, played by Tom Everett Scott, because... It just shows just how much he was miscast because the fact that he is playing the founder of J.T. Marlin shows that it was... I mean, and, and he actually... The fact that he doesn't fit in that role makes him not a douchebag. And he's supposed to be a douchebag because how else he's, would you yeah, set up this entire Belfort scam? Yeah, he's the of the story. Yeah, yeah. He set up this entire scam and yet you don't... You, you, you take him at his word whenever he says anything. When he's the mastermind behind the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm going him. I don't know. I feel like that makes him more of a douche. Or is uh, Can we put Abby on this list? Or does she not count as an employee? Or a stockbroker? Uh, you can go with her. Well, yeah. I guess you can go with her. I mean, she would be the obvious one. There's there's nothing really douchey about her. I would also go back to Vin Diesel. I mean, what what's so douchey about him? He doesn't really... You know, he, he's, he stands up for Seth on numerous occasions in the movie. He seems, you know, decent, pretty honorable, and, and as stated earlier, very well-dressed. Yeah, and, and he only bets yes. on one race. Yeah, he, he's definitely the normal guy in, of the group. But, uh, yeah... Okay, right. so I had a I had a category that I wanted to do, and maybe this is leading us toward flaws. But you know, this movie is just a wash in wonderful stuff from the late '90s. I mean, th this movie feels like you know these characters watch Seinfeld and listen to the Backstreet Boys, and well, not really, but like you know, they live in that world, right? So my question is, what things from this movie have aged the worst? Because clearly this movie is from a completely different time in our history, in our pop culture. And there are some, there are some laughable moments in this movie of things that have dated pretty badly. Um, that's a great question. I would say, like, the entire first scene aged pretty badly. Like, this whole bus full of stockbrokers going to this hotel and, you know, kissing the random woman at the desk and then just, like... <laughs> 
going to the buffet of food and like literally throwing it in the air and then sitting down to watch a horse race. I mean, I, I was watching that scene saying, my word, they could not make this scene today. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Yeah, and I'm not even I'm not even necessarily talking about that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm just talking about like practical details in the movie. Like like the thing that I was going to bring up is the notion of Seth using a floppy drive to bat, get all the, <laughs> the information from the, <laughs> the entire computer. The, the whole the, the line is he gets the whole C drive backed up on a floppy. I mean, wow, that just that 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 those you are know, two really terms you never back. hear anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like if someone under the age of 25 was to watch this movie, that that line would go over their head what i mean it went over my head i i didn't even understand a whole c drive like that's a wow that, that, that's, that, a that, thing? that's that's like that's like you know going back and watching that scene is like going back now and listening to it's called a mojo it can transmit <laughs> pa- pages of information yes. over the phone only takes 15 minutes a page 18 minutes 18 <laughs> crazy <laughs> One thing, I, I mean, I think Boiler Room is super racist. Like, th- there are, like, so many racial slurs in the movie, which is more of a reflection, I guess, of the characters than of anything else. But I, I'm just like, man, I, I don't feel like I hear these words anymore, like, when I actually watch movies in 2019. Yeah, that's Calls definitely him, like, an odd thing. Dreidel Boy, and he's like, can you shove a menorah yeah. up your ass and stuff like that? I'm just like, like, <laughs> like the, well, those are so, always, like, nice. Greg's always telling Chris, you know, do you got a cannoli that you can shove in that? Or something like that, yeah. 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 I think the tone is played a lot lighter than it would be today, even if you included scenes like that. I mean, I I actually think the scene with the gay customer in the restaurant, I mean, that was a really uncomfortable scene to watch now in 2019, but, like, um, I mean, that's a scene that you really couldn't even remotely have today. It just, I I think The gay character does get the upper hand, though. but. Yeah. yeah, the 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 comeback he has is like perfect and hilarious though. I know. Well, yeah, I mean it, it's meant to be a funny scene, but that character is such a stereotype. I mean, I don't think you could get away with that today. Even even with a funny comeback like that, which I think was the, you know, the scene was set up for that, but wow, that was that that didn't age particularly well. But the comeback is funny. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say I was gonna say one more thing that that didn't age particularly well. Well, I, we mentioned the the uh, the phone call earlier too, um, but uh, I was gonna say that uh, there's the the line that Seth's dad has when he uh, when he learns that Seth is working in a firm. He says something like, "I would have thought you would have joined a firm like Goldman Sachs or something of that stature." Like, yeah, po- post two thousand eight, that line uh, <laughs> isn't isn't quite as funny. Or it, it doesn't quite ring as true, <laughs> but sure. There, there's also the other line that uh, one of the brokers is on is on the phone talking. It's like you don't trade on the phone. I mean, everything happens over the phone. What are you talking about? It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, major business deals are negotiated over the phone. It's like, that's not no, no on your on your corded phone with a with, with a dial tone. That's that's uh, yeah, that's how things are done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Four hundred thousand dollar phone bill. Four hundred thousand dollar phone bill. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the, just the idea that, that like this movie like couldn't exist nowadays because everyone's just got their cell phones. No one has to go to an office to to be a stockbroker anymore. 
Well, it it's, it's also just a reflection it. of the fact that they couldn't actually tell the real story of of Stratton Oakmont. So it's like it, it feels like it's very 2000 when uh, in reality the story is being told at like early 90s and they, but they can't. So is is this actually? So you keep referencing that. Is this legit? Like the the unauthorized un um, Jordan Belfort story? Yeah. Yeah, that that was it. it was, originally was written as that, but they but they didn't have the the rights to uh, actually use the real names or the the real locations or pink sheet details or anything like that. So they put at the beginning of the movie like this is not based on anything, but it's clear that it's the story of a person going into the you know the Stratton Oakmont uh, firm. That's fascinating. I did not know that. But you can. I mean, it's the same story. You can see it, right? It is. Yeah, now that you mention it, yes, I can definitely see it. Okay, so so talking about things that don't age well, let's get into uh, let's get into biggest flaws because I think that's like the tip of the iceberg and stuff that doesn't age well. Um, or yeah, that's the tip of the what doesn't age well is the tip of the iceberg into potential flaws. Okay. So do you guys have any potential flaws? Well, there are definitely flaws. So okay. why, why don't you start? Why don't you start, Todd? Since you know uh, this movie so intimately well. Well, uh, I think the call with Doctor Jacobs, while it is probably the best scene in the movie, I don't think that that could ever actually happen because I can't imagine how much money and how many phone calls like just like dissipated while the, like the entire place is shut down for five minutes to watch a one guy close one sale of a minimum share like uh, 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 a transaction. I like I'm just thinking like how how how. I mean, just because the guy screams Reco, like, the whole place shuts down. All Everyone just, like, hangs up their phones. They're just, like, standing around watching one guy do one thing. I'm like, that, there's no way that could ever actually happen in that place. Like, they, they would lose a ton of money. That's the one thing I feel like is definitely a flaw. Also, I feel like all the all the characters hate each other's guts. I don't know why they hang out with each other. Like, it, it it's not a friendly rivalry between Chris and Greg. They, they absolutely hate each other. Why are they always, like inviting each other to each other's like hangouts and stuff and going out to the bars together that i i've never understood what why they're actually kind of trying to be friends and plus that they're always so personal with seth and he's the only one of the trainees or even junior brokers that even hangs out with them it's always the same group of like five guys and seth i'm, I'm not really sure why he's even there Those are, I mean, I guess those are more just, like, character-based things. But, yeah, th those, are, those are things that always stick out to me as being flaws. They never explained. All right, Zach, do you have anything? Yeah, so, um, well, uh, okay. Um, I have some small ones, and I have some big ones. Um, I don't like the name Jim Miller. I just, th that doesn't seem like the right name for that character it should be a better name who's jim uh, miller a, isn't that the name of the brent affleck character jim young jim young jim young jim young okay same thing yeah it's just it's such a generic name he it doesn't seem like he's a jim i don't know i just didn't see it i, I guess that's a stupid flaw but i just <laughs> yeah i'd say that's a stupid flaw <laughs> <laughs> um okay uh I didn't quite understand how, like, at that point in the movie, he re when he reaches his 40th sale, what is he, maybe two months into the job? 
Uh, no, three you're a trainee for three months, and then you have to close 40 accounts before you can start working for yourself. So he's been there at least three months, but he says he's doing five or six accounts a day, so he's probably been there for, for uh, maybe three and a half months. Right. I was just, I think there's a flaw in the math there somewhere. Like, how could he be there for three months and only have done 40, closed 40 accounts that the math doesn't add up there? Well, I mean, no. What's he doing you, all day? If he... your, your, your first three months, you're just trying to get them to get excited and then say that we'll send you a press packet or whatever, and then they'll call you back later. But after your three months, then you take your Series 7, then you start to close accounts, you close 40 before you actually are working for yourself. So this comes af- after they took the exam. He couldn't close. Okay, well, yeah. either way, it, 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 okay, maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. Um, okay, dumb flaw. Sorry. You just need to stay uh, awake. A bigger, yeah, I did stay awake during this movie, though, although there more, this movie would have been improved by flesh-eating uh, space monkeys. Um, the, uh, I thought it was kind of weird the way that the, it, uh, the, ha- the house where Seth's parents live it looks like there are cars driving through their backyard. Like, when you look out the windows, you can see the cars driving right by the house. I thought that was sort of strange. Um, and uh, I also just overall, I don't know. I, I think maybe this wasn't a flaw in the movie. I just, I don't know if I totally bought the Seth character. Like, one moment, he's this shark who's operating, you know, this underground hit uh, casino and he's really shrewd about it, and, you know, he's paying, and, and apparently he's not only a good businessman, but he's pretty equitable, like, he gives the guy a cut of 65% or whatever, right, or, or at least that's what he says he's going to do, so he's this really shrewd businessman, and then on the other hand, he just, like, falls down at the sight of his dad, like, I, I, I don't know, I don't know if I buy it, and he's gullible enough to believe that this firm exists, uh, you know, and it's not cutting any corners until he actually has to see proof, like, he doesn't question anything, he's just sort of blind to it, I think there are just inconsistencies with the character because on the one hand, you want to believe that he's a shrewd businessman who can talk to people on the phone and wheel and deal and sell anyone, right? And he's amazing on the phone. I mean, the dialogue really rings true and it's a, it, he has a great New York accent. And then there are other scenes in the movie where he's just like totally withdrawn. And I mean, I guess that's like trying to show the character's duality. But for me, it was like a flaw. Like what it, it, it seemed like a contrivance on the part of the screenwriter to one moment make him this Gordon Gecko want Jordan Belfort wannabe and then on the other hand for him to be just like shamed by his dad all the time and introverted and you know uh you know uh, uh unsure of himself so what do you want him to be I don't know it just seemed it, it it seemed a little inconceivable but maybe that was just my problem well if you talk about the uh, last scene with his dad like he's totally he's trying to sell his dad like that whole big emotional outburst thing was him trying to get his dad to go in on the scam with him that wasn't him actually yeah. promoting that well, and and then I what what is with the end of this movie? Like the movie didn't really know how to end. Like, okay, so he tries to get the dad involved, buying the IPO back, and then he's he's maybe where he's trying to. Get, I don't know how he get. The bottom line is, I don't know how he gets off at the end of this movie. Like, how's this guy not? He doesn't in jail? get off. Like he he just he drives away. Well, yeah, he like he, ostensibly that, that he's not implicated. His deal was that he was going to give all the information so that they could take them down, like be dead to rights, and then he would get his dad off and he wasn't going to be able to do the scam anymore that's why he ends up just like trying to make harry back his money instead of actually you know trying to take the the firm for you know five hundred thousand dollars or whatever he thought he was gonna do i just i I don't know how you get off get off that easy i i I because he gave it to like you said i gave i'm gonna give it to you on a silver platter that's what he did i don't know 
And I, I, his voice by the end of the movie sounded way too much like Ray Liotta's in Goodfellas. That's another flaw in this movie, is that it's so, so, so much like so many other movies. Like, this is exactly, this is screenwriting 101. I mean, Ben Younger was in his 20s when he wrote this movie. It feels rough around the edges. It doesn't feel, that. I mean, yes, there's good one-liners, there's good characters, but it just doesn't feel like it's that radical like even the wolf of wall street i mean watching that movie was a crazy experience and you went to places in that movie you didn't expect like this movie you could anticipate everything that was happening there really wasn't any surprises there was no major unexpected turns or twists all the characters had very kind of regimented roles within the script structure which was to, to, to you know basically screenwriting 101 i don't know i i wish i wish that the movie could have had a little bit more spontaneity and the w- place it had it was the character of abby and i think she's really interesting in this movie and she's woefully underused i wish that they could have, could have developed that relationship a lot more um so i don't know those are my flaws and the okay. name michael the, the name jim young sucks <laughs> so okay. just all gyms apparently suck <laughs> time out pause for a second i've got a toddler okay. banging at the door i'll be right back okay. all right damn it zach i don't agree with that at all i don't know i don't know what i don't know what you actually even mean what about what? About about how the there's no surprises how how it doesn't how it's not radical like I if you watch this it movie's in 2000, so predictable. Okay, well maybe, but like I mean I don't know. I'm talking about flaws in the movie. This movie is Goodfellas. It is Wolf of Wall Street. It is The Firm. It is Glengarry Glenn Ross. It's all these movies like, and those are better movies. And like this movie does the exact same thing that those movies do. It's like Boogie Nights, but for the stock market. I mean it's just not that it's just not that inventive i wish they could you know and granted yeah sure you know back in 2000 maybe it was more creative and innovative but like still i don't know it's just fundamentally derivative but that doesn't make it a bad movie i just it, it's not to me it's just it's a flaw with the movie that prevents it from being great so my flaw that i was gonna talk about was that kind of what you were just talking about are, are we actually keeping that in or no sure i don't know <laughs> why not and the screaming toddler yeah yeah so my flaw that I was going to talk about is going along with what you were just saying in that it feels, yes, it's derivative, but not only is it derivative, but it has to tell you that it's derivative. Like it, it's going along. It's like, hey, we're, we're doing the same thing that Wall Street did. Oh, and, oh hey, 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 have you seen that movie Glengarry Glenn Ross? We're going to even steal their slogan for our movie. Because, and we're going to tell you that we're stealing their slogan because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of doing the same thing here. And, and I, I know it's just, you know, them just being fans of the, the Hollywoodized versions of this, but it, I, I don't know, it kind of takes, comes across as, as a screenwriter is just kind of lazy screenwriting. I can't think of a better way to write it, so instead of trying to, I'm just going to steal the material from the movies that have come before me. That's the characters, though. These characters are, like... Yeah, like you said, they're fans. Like, okay, so Greg, the first time you see him uh, at the firm, he's wearing the exact same shirt and tie that Gordon Gecko wears, with the white collar. I noticed that too. I noticed that too. And I, I mean, it's like they're they're clearly like the, the, those are their idols. Like that that's that's why they're in the business. I mean, I can I mean I can relate to that. I mean, but I don't think that that should be taken out just because. I don't know. I think you could have done it in a little less obvious way. However, I will say the Wall Street scene with them, like quoting the movie, is pretty cool. Um, so then, um, going into something else that Zach mentioned, um, he was mentioning how 
how uh, blind Seth was to everything else that was going on. I'm going to say the flaw is the fact that everybody else was completely blind to what was going on. Nobody even bothered. They were so obsessed with their money. They didn't even bother to ask themselves why. And, like, even, like, at the, the end there. No, they don't! Like, at the end, when, like, when Seth is talking to, when Seth is talking to Chris Vin Diesel's character in the stairwell, he's telling him all the stuff about how everything is, everything's a scam. He's like, He's like, yeah, what? that's what we what do, do you... here. That, that's what he no, says. Yeah, that is literally but... what he says. He's like, what do you want me to say? That's what we do here. And every time he tries to ask, he's like, you're asking the wrong question. All you should be asking about is how I'm gonna how you're going to get laid at night or something. Like, he's like, you don't want to ask that question because you're not going to like to hear the answer. Because he knows that Seth has integrity and everybody else just sort of, like, pushes that aside in their mind. Yeah, well, but it's like they, they just, yeah, they don't even care to ask the question. And and so they're, yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, See, I, I just thought it was kind of... I, I didn't really I didn't, ha- I didn't, it didn't come across to me as as everybody else was in on the scam they were running. Like, even, even like, Greg, Nikki Cat's character, they were talking and, and going, he was kept on saying, oh, you're, you're violating these regulations. And it's like, well, yeah, everything you do here is violating a regulation. But, again, yeah, he was just busting his chops. But I guess I should clarify. It, it doesn't so much bother me that the characters seem ignorant to, to that knowledge because I think that's true to some degree pre, you know, 2008 that these people just, you know, lived in a world where they were making $2 on every share or whatever. But like what what I don't like is that the movie structures it as, oh, midway through we got this big reveal that uh-oh, you know, Michael is up to some sneaky business and oh, here's the FBI. Oh no. Like The Wolf of Wall Street was up front that all these people were criminals. Like it's pretty clear that something shady is going on. The movie portrays it as if it's some like kind of big unexpected plot twist, which I just don't buy. It's obvious that they're they're corrupt and that they're doing illegal things. So don't placate us as an audience, you know? Well, okay, Seth knows and- that immediately. That's why he's like the first thing he says. He's like, he's like, wait, wait, how do you even do that? You know, like, it, like how how can you how can you lie to the customer and say that you're the president of the firm? Like, he knows immediately that things aren't right, but he gets into it because he he realizes right. how much fun it is and he's making money and he's just like all the other people, but he still has that bit of like integrity in his head that he actually wants to know like what exactly am I doing to these people? Because he gets to he gets to care about Harry for some reason. Well, but I think that that's partially just his character and how he he likes to know how things work, especially after starting his own business. He and knowing what it's going to take to make that thing work, he just he he operates in a way that he needs to know the inner workings of everything. I don't know, but I mean, even uh, the judge, even the judge dad knows that it's a it's a fucked up corporation, right? Like he knows that it's it's a scam. So why does the movie have to you know patronize us and be oh? Here's the big plot development with the FBI. They're swooping in. I don't know. It just felt a little. Uh, well, that, then demeaning. it wouldn't be a movie if he just like went there, got rich, and then the movie was over. Like that wouldn't be a movie. Okay. Here, here's here's my other flaw, um, and this may be just I missed something, but I don't know. So all of a sudden, like the first time we see the FBI is when they they pull Abby aside, right? Like they get to her. Well, right? the, first the first time we, time see, we see them the is what you you see them in their truck at one point before they even confront Abby. Like you you see them, uh, he'll, he or he's he's like see this guy Seth Davis. He's the smartest of this next group of trainees or whatever. Like this first time you see them, and then yeah, then they arrest Abby the next or they don't arrest her. They just apprehend her and 
Right. Yeah. And so, so my flaw was, you know, how did they, how they put everything together? And I, so it sounds like they were already investigating and just pinpointed Seth. I, 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 it was like, wait, why are they going after Seth? That makes no sense if he's the new guy and how, how is, is that the guy they're gonna, they're gonna go after to get into the inner workings when he's just this new kid? I mean, did he, do something that we didn't know about that got him on the radar. I don't know. Well, that's why they say like he he's been running a, a like a full fledged gambling operation out of his apartment. You know, like they knew that he was super smart, and they didn't want to go after somebody who was established because it was all, the the thing was already a well oiled machine. The whole company. It's not like yeah. If they went after Chris or Greg, like that things wouldn't be really hard for him. Right. Okay. Well, and so then it, I'm just left with, uh, you know, Seth's mom thinking that a poker chip is drugs. That, oh, yeah. That's that's pretty much the biggest flaw in the movie. One thing that's the I opposite mean, of a flaw that I love about this movie is it actually details, like, exactly how they were making money. When in The Wolf of Wall Street, it just is like, uh, you know, Jordan will just start, like, talking about uh, wh- what they're doing. He's like, so we were doing this, and he's like, oh, you know, it doesn't even matter. Like, the point is they were making a lot of money. When in this, they actually go through, like, bridge financing and talk about, like, how they're actually making money as all these companies that don't exist and how they manufacture the market i i love that they actually went into that stuff because that's not stuff you actually hear and like that kind of jargon is not used in actual movies or at least in movies yeah. that are trying to be popular you know uh, speaking of movie character names did you have uh, todd when you think of the character named seth what do you think of you don't think of this movie first i i well i i can't i mean no, you, at the moment don't. yeah i do you don't know <laughs> what movie do you think of first when you hear the character named seth there's only two appropriate answers to this question i honestly think i would think of this i've seen this movie a lot really wow okay the, the, what do you think of terry when you hear the character named seth i have no idea what you're trying to get at so well it's super bad like it, the oh. character's name is seth okay well, and it's because of seth rogan yeah, and and then and then like in Forty Year Old Virgin, you know, you have a tiny penis, Seth. I don't know. I'm just saying that's you know, it's not a flaw in the movie. But when I think of a the character named Seth, I think of John, Judd Apatow movies. All right, there's a little legitimacy to that. Uh, Thank not, you. That's not bad. That's not bad. Okay, so what do we have left? We have what LVP, MVP, and... Nicholas Cage is. What? Let's talk uh-huh. Nicholas Cage. Let's talk Nicholas Cage forgot about that all right (laughs) (laughs) who would Nicolas cage play in this movie well i think the the best character he could be would be uh harry renard i think he'd be awesome as harry but i think he'd have to be michael (laughs) right i imagine him walking into the into the office just like having everyone all riled up and like start screaming about med patent and uh, and how like they're, they're gonna it's gonna be, you know, it's not going to be the exception. It's gonna be the standard. Like, I, I mean, Cage would kill us, Michael. I, I, I say that uh, that you rewrite this movie, and instead of uh, instead of Seth having this uh, this uh, crisis of needing to impress his uh, his father, he needs to impress his older brother, and uh, his older brother's <laughs> name is Memphis Reigns. <laughs> and there we go. And you just make it make it gone in sixty seconds, where you have Giovanni Rabisi as the kid as the kid brother, needing to impress Memphis Reigns, and uh, and go from there. That's inspired. We we, we already have Scott Con. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Playing pretty much the same character. I, I was I was gonna bonk him. You were gonna bonk him 
all of your decision making privileges have been removed. <laughs> what do you think, Zach? Uh, I think Nicolas Cage would have to play the Vin Diesel character because when he gets on the phone with Dr. Jacobs, he would say, Have you ever been dragged on the sidewalk and beaten until you pissed blood? <laughs> I feel like he could have been a trainee and said that, though, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I could have also seen him playing Ben Affleck's character and going on those rants. Like, okay, I'm, I'm done. done. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Get that, like, you know. He's totally Roy Waller. He could be Roy Waller as Jim Young. Uh, okay, LVP MVP. Okay, I I have three options for LVP, so I'll let you guys for goes first and see if you choose them. Okay, my my LVP is Giovanni Ravisi. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I don't think he's that great in this movie. I think we needed a stronger lead performance. There's so many people in the early 2000s that could have played this role. I mean, as I've already detailed earlier, the role is, you know, a little bit flawed to begin with. But to me, he just kind of ruins this movie. Like, you look at these other great performances by Vin Diesel and Ben Affleck, and those have aged really well. Giovanni Ribisi has not aged well in this movie. He's the he's the least valuable player. I, I disagree with that. However saying that what if it went full circle and seth was played by leonardo dicaprio yes like I, I could totally see that that would have been amazing and, and so that would have elevated this movie yeah you have this version played by he's leo and then in <clears throat> wolf of wall street leo plays and we're talking like 2000 leonardo dicaprio yeah yeah you know? this is like pre like catch me slick, if you black, can. slick back hair yeah exactly yeah. Zach, can you ever get LVP consistent? Like, you go from characters to filmmakers <laughs> to actors. Like, I mean... <laughs> I didn't realize we were trying to stick to such a rigorous, uh, you know, uh, structure with this uh, with these categorizations, but I'll, I'll try to be more consistent. <clears throat> my, my LVP is Richie, played by Scott Kahn, because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't belong. I mean, he, he's the one... He, yeah, he, he's, he's just like... He's so overly aggressive. It's like, dude, how how did you ever make a sale? I mean, it, it, like I said, he's basically playing the same character he plays in Gone in 60 Seconds, but he's a stockbroker? I, I, well, he yeah, was, like, suspended, I, if you catch that that part. Like, that, that, that's what the whole, <laughs> this whole thing was about. That's why they buy him, him him and the other guy want a hooker, because they finally got off the, like, the restricted list of brokers or whatever. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> That and uh, and I, I'm gonna mention it one more time. Jamie Kennedy, LVP. <laughs> I mean, well, for a couple reasons. One, one, it's Jamie Kennedy, and two, the only reason Seth got into this whole thing was because Jamie Kennedy showed up at his door with Greg, to to play some blackjack. Yeah. And um, why does that make him the LVP though? Be- because because he's he's the one that got him into this whole mess. Like he keeps on saying at the end, what, all these what ifs. What if? What if he hadn't knocked on my door and all this stuff? Well, that's if that's he hadn't knocked on the, the door, the movie wouldn't have happened. Like I know, there's no movie without him. That this is true. This is true. He also doesn't <clears> work <throat> there and just hangs out. He he's he's a no... stockbroker groupie. That's what he is. <laughs> Not don't say it. Band-Aid. Not groupies. Band aids. <laughs> Band aid. Yeah. He he's he's a broke aid. <laughs> Stockade. 
Okay, so I have three. <laughs> Which is now where he is. Oh, in the stockades. I don't get it. You're welcome. You're welcome, America. He got arrested. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Genius. Okay, so my three I uh, that I was thinking of. One was the guy who pitches the Daily News to Seth. Because... Not only is he really bad at his job, but he also, like, says, is, is this Mr. Davis? And he has to, like, <laughs> correct him to say Davis. And I'm like, who who reads Davis as Davis? Like, how dumb is this guy? <laughs> he is definitely not valuable. Another guy who's not valuable is John. Because, like, like you said, he's just a chimp. Like, he's basically a machine. All he does is there is eat bananas and, like, shred papers and, like, potentially masturbate during work hours. And watch Greg's lunch. So he is that. I mean, and you don't ever actually hear him speak. You just hear, see him in that office and then walking around the, the getaway place. I never understood his character and why you don't actually know more about him because I feel like he might have been a key cog in something, but you don't get to see it. But the main LVP is Jeff, because he's making a thousand dollars a week and he even took on an assistant and he still can't fucking handle yeah. the casino. I, yeah, that's a good one. I, I mean, I don't get it. Like he's got. He's got, like, the best gig imaginable for, imaginable for that kind of age, and, like, he's got, like, no vig, no taxes or anything, but, I mean, he screws it all up, and that's on the end of the reason why that Seth actually is unemployed at the end of the movie, because he can't handle the casino, which was, that's all he had to do. He just had to be there, just be available 24-7. <laughs> that's a great point. Jeff is a loser. And plus, I also find it funny that when he's like, this isn't f***ing Denny's. And Denny is his character in Meet the Parents, which came out the same year. <laughs> it all comes full circle. That's who I was gonna go with. I was I was gonna come back and, and say and say Jeff is a was an yeah. LVP. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to remember what I knew him from, and then you just you just said it. You just said it right there. Meet the Parents. I knew I recognized him from something. All right, let's go to MVP. I'm, I'll MVP. start this one. Go for it. it the, the MVP is Ben Affleck. And it's because I don't think the movie gets made if he wasn't attached to it. Like, I mean, it's not just because his character is amazing and he's electric and hilarious and stuff. But, like, I honestly don't think the movie gets financed without him being a part of it. And there's a reason why he's not there. Like, when they're announcing the, uh, uh, the monthly... Uh, revenue leaders for the company he's number one at, at like what two hundred and eighty thousand dollars for the month or whatever and they don't show him because he's not there because he obviously had better things to do than be in this movie but like the fact that he appears in like three scenes even though he's uh, he's readily apparently in like a part of the movie uh it it, it just is like vital to the actual movie's success and i and i actually think the character is actually got some good points and he's not a complete asshole like uh, like a lot of the other brokers. Zach, what do you say? One. Well, originally my MVP was going to be hair gel because there's copious <laughs> yeah. amounts of it in this movie. Lots of representation, you know. Um, but I'm going to change my vote and I'm going to say the MVP is Todd. Because Todd loves this movie. <laughs> I've never met anyone who's love this movie as much let alone seen it i don't think anyone i know has seen it and 
Todd somehow successfully convinced us to do a two-hour podcast about this movie. I, that that's that is considerable talent. I mean, you want to talk about trying to sell someone on the phone? Like Todd being able to do that and and to you know uh, love this movie the way he loves it is is impressive. So the MVP is Todd. Well played. Well played. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna say my my MVP is uh, is Vin Diesel. Um, going kind of going back to what what Zach said at the very beginning of this whole thing, um, he he's he's kind of the the one guy out of all the group that has some heart to him, um, and yes, he is the best dressed, but uh, he he really going back on it, it it shows what this movie represented and re- represented these young Hollywood actors that were trying to catch a break, just like all these stockbrokers were trying to catch a break. And, and he, he's the one star that came out of it. I mean, you have some of these guys that did some stuff and, and are recognizable faces and names. But Vin Diesel, you know, he was the one that you could tell on the screen was a star. Um, I think some one of you guys used the, used the word magnetic. Uh, and, and that's what he was. You paid attention when he was on the screen. And, and he became a star from this movie. And not only because of Ben Affleck, but also because of Vin Diesel, this movie gets remembered and gets watched. And, uh, so I'm saying my MVP is Vin Diesel. I like it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up with, uh, with a quote of the day. Uh, let's see here. Zach, you go first. Well, okay. So I have two quotes. One is for this movie. The other is for Ad Astra. I'll start with the one for this movie. My quote for this movie comes from Jim Young. Terrible name. Terrible. But he has the best line in this movie when he says, A sale is made on every call you make. You either sell the client some stock or he sells you a reason he can't. Either way, it's a sale. The question is, who's going to close, you or him? That's, that, that's the best line in the movie. I mean, that's a great line. That belongs in like a David Mamet movie. Perfect. And then my other line, which I'm going to apply to Ad Astra, comes from uh, the character of Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld in the English Patient episode, which is what, after she sees it for the third time, she says, no, I can't do this anymore. I can't. It's too long. Quit telling your stupid story about the stupid desert and just die already. Die! And that's the way I feel about, uh, uh, I was going to say Ben Affleck, uh, Brad Pitt in uh, Ad Astra. Just die. Quit telling your stupid story. No one cares about your stupid mopey feelings about your dad. Just you know, have your face ripped off by sh- space monkeys and end it. Space monkeys. Yep. It's the way to do it. All right. I'm going to go next. I've got two quotes. Both are from Ad Astra. One, one kind of applies to everything or to both movies. And, uh, and one applies, uh, to this podcast, I'd say. And, uh, the first one that applies to both movies is, uh, Roy McBride says, I do what I do because of my dad. And that that's the that's the main motivation for for Roy in Ad Astra, and it's the main motivation for Seth in Boiler Room. So there's that. And and the Great second line. quote from Ad Astra is, uh, "Why go on? Why keep trying?" And then, <laughs> 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 and 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 it, it speaks to you know this podcast in several ways. I, I'm not going <laughs> to convince Zach that this is a decent movie, and. Uh, and, and 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 uh and yeah i mean why 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 bother so there you go but he Maybe does should have ended there should have ended on that line <laughs> i would have given it more respect if it ended there 
Uh, all right. Todd, give give us a give us your best boiler room quote. Uh, well, I have a few. Well, okay, so I'll I'll go I'll go do this in sections. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, Seth says uh, I, I don't believe in fate. I believe in odds, and which is definitely uh, the way I feel. And you also ha- when you're yeah. playing poker, especially, and you also have to act as if act as if you're the f- president of the firm. Act as if you got a nine inch cock. You gotta act as if, and that's how you gotta play poker too. And then there's also this awesome part where, where Greg is talking to his uh, one of his trainees, and he's like, "This better be better than the last batch you gave me. You shouldn't even yell Reco anymore. You should just yell Timber. You produce more wood than Ron Jeremy," which I think is a great <laughs> quote as well. But my favorite quote, which is one that I quote in my head all the time, when I, when like someone comes up to me, I'm at work or something, and I'm not in a very good mood, they'll be like, "Hey, how's it going?" And then I'll think of the scene where he's talking to the guy who's trying to sell the Daily News to him, and he's just like, "Shitty, what do you want?" That's always in my head when it's like, "How you doing?" <laughs> Shitty, what do you want? <laughs> uh, those are great. Those are great. I know. And I still love the fact that you've that you've made Reco a thing at at, uh, at work. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. That is amazing. Like that right there made this whole deep dive worth it. Is is getting that out there that that uh, that yeah. Do you make people not sit down for the rest of the day? <laughs> well, there there really isn't anywhere to sit, but yeah. <laughs> I, if I could, I would. <laughs> Uh, all right with uh with that we're gonna bring this podcast to a close thank you so much for listening uh remember to subscribe rate review on itunes um give us a five-star rating give us a a review uh tell your friends about us uh, have them subscribe rate review as well uh we will catch you in a couple weeks with our next episode until then have fun watching movies Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.